Did you know that Christmas has come early for us here at Xgrowth? Whether you may or may not celebrate, we've got a special gift made just for you. Tucked in our pod description, you'll find a link to your very own copy of the 2023 State of Account-Based Marketing in APAC report. Want a sneak peek? Well, despite budget cuts, 0% of surveyed APAC marketing leaders plan to reduce their ABM investment. In fact, 65% view ABM as a crucial part of their marketing spend. Uncover the insights and strategies used by the top marketing leaders. So don't miss out and grab your copy now to stay ahead in the ABM game. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth. And today I'm talking to Joanna Moss, Director of Executive Programs and ABM at Salesforce, about what not to do when you're looking at rolling out an ABM program. Marketers can face many challenges when executing on ABM. And mistakes uh, sometimes can be quite costly in uh, in the ABM world. So that's why I'm super excited to speak to Joanna and uh, talk about some of the mistakes that she's seen as uh, she's uh, she's done ABM programs over the uh, past years. So on that note, let's dive in. Joanna, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. Delighted to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Joanna, you're jumping in from UK right now. So thank you so much for jumping on early in the morning. I want to dive right in and talk about account selection. And I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about how do you currently go about when it comes to account selection for what you do to select the accounts that you're going to focus on? Sure. Yes. Well, we've spent a few years trying to get this right. So I wouldn't say we've always done it this way, but what's fundamental to the way we did it last year on this financial year is actually starting with the data. So we used the data to select the accounts and we we pulled a list of all of our top accounts and we looked at the, the ACV potential in the accounts. We looked at the propensity to buy and the share of wallet that those accounts had. Um, we looked to see if there were any big contracts coming up or renewals in the financial year. And we also looked at cross-sell opportunities. How could we upsell, cross-sell into those accounts? And I think what's quite interesting is when you have a set of accounts and you see what they've bought, you could also track to see, well, if, if accounts have bought these in the past, what's the likelihood that these sorts of accounts will buy these things next. So that's also something we look at during the selection process. The other couple of things we look at is, does the account have an exec sponsor on it and the AOV year-on-year increase and any open opportunities? So when we take the data, those are things we look at fundamentally for the data. But the second step of the process is to also reach out to our regional vice presidents of sales. So we have a, a leader for each industry and we say to them, you know, what's your which are your top five accounts in your industry that you'd like 
ABM to focus on this year. And they will rank, you know, their top five. Sometimes they give us a top 10. You know, they're always, they're always keen. And, and then what we do is we then, when we get that list and we look at, and we've pulled the data, we then compare, okay, how are they spot on with their top five? And does the data say the same? And this year it was quite interesting because the majority of them, their top three were sort of quite spot on, you know, within their top five, they'd sort of the top three in the data they were pulling through. But there were some really random ones where the data was saying that's ranked 61 in the list, and they were sort of in the top five. So they were sort of like big bets, they were saying, okay, well, could we look at support? And, um, and that was quite interesting. So then we sort of would then do the analysis and then take it to the head of sales to make the final decision on the on the last couple where you know the RVP was saying well actually we'd like to push this one into the program this year and see if it can deliver so um so we we did a combination of data and sales uh, this year whereas in the past we had been mainly focused on sales and he who shouts loudest and I think we've sort of <laughs> um you know we've tried to steer steer away from that sort of process in the last couple of years Interesting. So that marketing kind of brings that information to the table rather than just taking the, not, not orders, but taking the word of sales and just running with it. Exactly. And we have had the issue in the past that because we, you know, a few years ago, we were just two people doing ABM and we had a lot of sales wanting ABM. So actually we would say, well, who is keen? And we used to get sales to come and pitch to us. And we thought if they can be bothered to pitch and turn up and give us a pitch as to why their account deserves ABM, then they're obviously going to be keen to engage and be more, you know, data, more driven to engage with ABM. So we've actually had salespeople pitch to us as well. So we have used different processes and tried a lot of different uh, frameworks. So I think, um, but the data-driven one has been, you know, the first time we've we've used this this year, and that's been really, you know, a big eye opener for us. That sounds like the dream of every marketer, what you just described, for sales to come pitch to marketing. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I've heard that happen, but I can tell you that would be on the wish list of many marketers in the B2B space. Well, I think if they come and pitch, then you know they're keen, right? And you get the most, you get the best of results when marketing and sales are aligned. And if, if sales are coming up and pitching and saying, this is why I need it, this is why I want to work with you, this is what you know why I want ABM, then you're much more likely to choose them than, you know, accounts that, you know, some people don't even bother to fill the form in in the past. So because we'd send them, you know, a short questionnaire of, you know, five to ten questions. And if they can't bother to fill it in, we think, well, what are they going to be like to work with? So <laughs> so that's also been been, you know, a component in the past as well. So we've tried a few different tactics and I think you know, I think we all, we've, you know, the data piece and working with sales is is a great combination. Got it. Got it. Oh, you know, you talked about kind of use certain criteria and metrics for your account selection. Do these have an impact on the different ABM programs? So one to few or one to one or one to many? How do you how do you kind of uh, distinguish between different ABM tiers or ABM programs? Yes, it does indeed. And so once we have that data, we look at then how do we align the accounts and the resources that we have and what sort of program do we put together? So this year, for example, we did a combination of one-to-one. We did one-to-few and we did one-to-many. 
So we had uh, five ABMers this year, which is the most we've ever had. And we looked at from using the data, we said, right, with those five ABMers, we can we have got top 60 accounts. And what we thought is we could we could service one to one 15 of those accounts. And then we do. But what we did is we divided them up by industry. So we aligned each ABMer to an industry. And because the majority of those accounts were, you know, in four industries we could put one person only across four so we had a team lead and then four people one person for each industry and then they could manage you know between three to four accounts one-to-one in each of those industries they're aligned by industry and the lead the abm lead also had a couple of accounts as well so that enabled us to service 15 accounts one-to-one but across the top 60 we ran a what we call a light program. Some call it one to few. We called it a, a light program. So those are the 45 accounts would get a light version and a light selection of ABM activations pushed into them, which made up our top 60. Within the team, we had two people doing digital and we rolled out a one-to-many program into what we call sort of a new logo and growth area. So these are accounts with the potential to grow and sort of new logos And there was around 230 accounts in that list separately that we did more just digital, ABM digital into those accounts. Got it. Got it. You know, so, so, so about 15 accounts into one, one, 45 into light, and then 230 in programmatic. And Mm -hmm. how did you kind of distinguish between these is that, was that just based on the kind of. The, the the criteria that you earlier mentioned, you know, you talked about the average contract value, cross sell opportunities, and so on and so forth. Was it was it just based on those which number was stronger, and therefore those going to one to one? Yes. So the decisions were based on a couple of factors. So we had we look at the attractiveness of the account and the business strength, and we score there sort of had a scoring model as well. Um, and we also looked at the long term potential of the account and the size of the TAM and you know, the short term potential. So are there certain accounts with large upcoming deals that, you know, we want to prioritize for one year to be in a program for one year? What does that look like? And we scored them appropriately. And are there some that we think actually there's a lot of potential in there, but it's going to be a two year cycle. So that might be a longer term scenario. So we, we, we scored them all when we did the, um, when we looked at the data so that was sort of looking at the attractiveness criteria. And then when we looked at the business strength criteria, we looked at the the share of wallet, you know, the strength of the position in the account. In Salesforce, we have a number of clouds. So we look at the number of clouds over a certain value, the size of the investment and the relationship progression as well. And we sort of then map those. And then we could see, okay, when you map them into a, ma- a matrix of, you know, the business strength and the account attractiveness, some will then sit in that side where they demand one-to-one ABM, especially if they've got an upcoming renewal as well. And, you know, where you can see, okay, there's a lot of opportunity in here. They've got an upcoming renewal. So those ones are then more suited to one-to-one ABM. Got it. Got it. Interesting. We earlier talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of businesses also and leadership wants to get super excited about net new. And it's like, but most of our revenue comes from our existing companies. Do we really want to put that, put, put these resources on net new? How do you balance that? You, you talked about, you know, with programmatic that there was some net new accounts in there, 
but um, with, especially with the one-to-one and one-to-few, is that an area of like a no-no for you for NetNew or NetNew might creep in even in those levels? Well, it was the first year this year that we've done that one-to-many, you know, into new logo. And we had some engagement. Um, we're going to actually go into the data and have a look at what did we actually achieve with it? And, you know, did we bring value to the business for the investment that we made? And we're going to look at those results and evaluate should we be doing that again next year. Obviously, we have a, a great demand gen team that go to market by industry um, in marketing, and that's their sort of bread and butter to do that piece. So how do we sit on that layer on top and, you know, target a certain certain accounts that they don't target and how do we you know look at the data so understand that so i think we're gonna we're sitting down to do some planning next week actually on this um to do that our yearly review to see you know is it beneficial to do that because i think you know when you're going at an account lens into an account it's really good to see how many people are engaging with what content and to use some of the challenges that you have for the one-to-one accounts and the one-to-few accounts and you can push that content into that sort of new logo area and see how how it resonates and sometimes well as well with that data what we've been seeing is if there's you know a large number of people within one account really interested in certain topics that's a really good signal for us to then pass over to sales and maybe move them in our you know up in our program slightly so we're just really trying to make sure we stay on top of that and identify how does that work is that the right fit should that is that what we should be doing moving forward or is that really more something that the dem gen team are more capable of of managing than our team so i think that's some you know evaluation that we're gonna we're going to obviously be looking at in the next few weeks got it got it i mean that you know dovetails really nicely into my next question which was exactly that of where do you see the, the how do you see the collaboration between demand gen abm and then executive engagement, those three functions, where do they come together? What do you think are the differences and and where would you draw the line? It sounds like you're doing a little bit of work on that front. I, I wonder if you have some preliminary thoughts on these topics. Sure. Yes. And this year, as I mentioned, is the first year that we set up the team by industry. And the reason we did that is because our demand gen marketeers are aligned by industry. So we thought it would help us with the alignment. So my ABM for financial services, for example, would have a weekly call with the demand gen lead for financial services. They have um, a one-stop shop document where they have all their events and everything that's going on. So they have a weekly call with sales and they would both join that weekly call with sales. So they're aligned by industry with the sales team. And those are weekly calls. We then have ABM, what we call demand gen calls every week, once a week, where the whole of the demand gen and the wider marketing team come together. And we look at um, what's top of mind, you know, what's performing, what's not performing. And we have what's called a stand-up call, which is bi-weekly. And everyone gets a timer with five minutes. And we all have to say how each of the industries is performing. Is ABM delivering? Is exec programs delivering? And we do a two-week review. So we look back two weeks and we look forward two weeks as what's coming up. And we look at, are there any gaps? And if so, where are the gaps? And how can we all help fill and, you know, fill those gaps? So that's done every uh, fortnight, that stand-up call with the five minutes timed to the five minutes with a gong. 
And that really helps us all get an insight into what's working, what's not working, to pivot and amend any of the programs and really come together with exec programs, ABM, demand gen team. So those are the two, the two uh, I think, components that really help make us work, the alignment by industry with sales and then the demand gen weekly calls and the stand-up calls. So we have quite a lot of calls together, but I think that really mm-hmm. helps us align. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is executive engagement something that is pretty much under the ABM umbrella, or would you say that is a you know, a kind of separate function of its own? No, it's a separate function of its own, and it's a very big function actually within Salesforce. In the UK, we've brought the two teams together to sit in one team because we find that the ABMers who are, you know, have a lot of insight and in-depth knowledge into their accounts, they know who the key decision makers are, who the buying, who the buyers are and the purchasers, and then also the influencers up to those executives. So when the exec program team are rolling out events or they have a dinner, they will actually say to the ABM team, so who are the key people that should come to this? So rather than just saying, okay, it's a CIO breakfast or CEO dinner, they will say, well, who should have a seat at the table? And often you'll find that within some of these really large organizations, it's not always the CEO that's that key decision maker for that big opportunity. It might be the CIDO or a chief digital officer. And those are the key people that you want to be having next to your CEO to have those conversations to really help close those deals. So that alignment with ABM and exec has been really key this year and has been, you know, has worked really, really well. So we have weekly calls, ABM and uh, exec team together because we sit you know, as one team. And that really helps us align across the programs and really drive the exec programs into the ABM accounts. But all of the light accounts, those top 60 accounts, get special treatment and priority invites for our, exec- our executive program. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. You have these multiple programs that are going, and uh, obviously it sounds like predominantly one-to-one is for account expansion, and one-to-few also predominantly for account expansion. There might be some net new that 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 creep in there. How often would you change your accounts? And is that, you know, and I think my second question to that is that, is that different based on different tiers of ABM? Sure. So we review the accounts every year. Uh, we have done in the past where we've, you know, moved them out quarterly or, or every uh, six months, but it was just, it didn't work. It was too often, you know, the, it just got started when it was almost finishing. So you couldn't really deliver, I think, in, in you know, in a quarter or in six months what you need to. So we find at least a year is the optimal. Some of the accounts will stay in for another year. So depending on where they are, so we've had some accounts in for two years in order to help close a, a big renewal. Um, and make sure that you know, the accounts are using our products and technology in the right way and they're adopting them. So I would say, yeah, so one year we we review every one year and, yeah, and some of them will fall into that, like the one-to-few. They might be in for several years at the one-to-few level and then they might move into become a one-to-one. And some might move from a one-to-one and then say, well, actually, you know, they can mo- move down to become a one-to-few because we just need to do these tactics into them, still look after them as a one-to-few level, but we need to focus our efforts on these. So we might move some accounts between one-to-one and one-to-few, but every year we will review them. Are there situations that an account has gone from, you know, one-to-one, there's a big renewal coming up and 
it, there's a lot of focus on that account and then it gets renewed and then it drops off the radar and then the customer is like, hey, I was getting all this love. What what happened here? Has that, <laughs> has that ever happened? Yes, we have heard that happen. And we then, we yeah, of course, it's also how do you offboard an account as well? If they've had one-to-one, they, they move down to one-to-few. But also we have, we work really closely with our customer success team. And that's been really key for us because customer success are really the people that should be looking at driving adoption. So once they've signed, how do they adopt to use the technology that they've purchased and and keep the interest there, keep the, you know, making sure that their, you know, the customer satisfaction is there. So the customer success team are quite pivotal to that. So we work really closely with customer success we drive things like we run things like trailhead challenges as well to drive adoption and and then they may still feel like they're being looked after as well so that really helps us with that component but i think from an exec programs perspective you have to be quite careful as yeah they can get over invited to things and they're not invited if they've just signed <laughs> but yeah. sometimes you also have to do look at you know they've just signed but then it might be coming up for another signature a year later. So you do have to keep those lights on and keep them, you know, invited to things as well. So I think it's for finding that right balance. But yes, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure some do feel more loved than others. <laughs> okay, got it. Let's, you know, swapping accounts, that's great. But I think the other thing that I want to touch on is measuring success. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious of how do you go about measuring the success of your one-to-one programs, one-to-few programs, and what were some of the things that maybe you were doing in the past that you're like, you know, we got to, we got to like switch this up. This is not working. Yeah, hundred percent. So we love a dashboard at Salesforce, as you can imagine. So everything's pulled in our ABM dashboard. We measure, um, as most ABMers would, using the three R's: so reputation, relationships, and revenue. So revenue, we have targets, um, quarterly targets that we have to meet, and uh, and these, as I was mentioning to you earlier, have just changed actually. So we've just changed our whole marketing measurement framework and. Moved, moved away from marketing pipe and we now have marketing driven pipe. So we're all just get, um, coming to grips with what that means. But the revenue is key for us and we have targets for that. What has changed is the relationship piece. So we would always look at the account engagement, you know, intent monitoring, for example, engaging with key stakeholders and identifying the right stakeholders, but engaging with those. But I think in the new marketing world, it's more about in the executive engagement world, for example, is, is getting to net new stakeholders. So we'd always identify and engage mm. existing, you know, customers and key decision makers, but also getting to how do you get to net new decision makers and stakeholders within those accounts, within the same account. So that's a new measure. I mean, we had that in as a measure anyway, but it's a, a one that's becoming more of a focus. And we'll see more of that in our new marketing metrics world, I think. So the relationship piece is key. And then, of course, reputation as well. So apart from customer satisfaction, also how are you delivering to the account team as well and to sales? But in some of the one-to-few and one-to-many metrics world, we look at the engagement score, marketing qualified leads as well, and the number of target accounts, you know, attending our key events. We have key strategic events and third-party events where we'd engage these accounts. So that's something we also measure. Joanna, how do you tackle the argument of 
well, that was really sales and that's a relationship that sales has. And uh, they kind of invited that. Is the way that you tackle that, is that with the re- the new relationship co- uh, component or, you know, are there different ways? Because again, I would imagine marketing still has an impact on inviting the the people that we have an existing relationship with. So very curious of like, how do you tackle that argument? Yes, that, that's, you hit the nail on the head there. So we've got in our new marketing measurement, marketing driven pipe is made up of two components. So we have what's called marketing source pipe, which is what marketing is directly responsible for. So net new leads, for example. And then we have the second component is marketing influence pipe. So this is like a multi-touch attribution. And this model looks at the number of sales touch points that the account has had and also the number of marketing touch points they've had and how much of each opportunity should be credited to marketing and how much should be credited to sales. Because if you think about it, sales is having a lot of, a lot of meetings across that opportunity all the time. But marketing will be, you know, making also a huge impact by with their events that they're attending, with exec dinners and with other activations that we're pushing into the account. So this is really interesting. So what they've done is was they've automated it to use AI and our new cutting edge AI is deciding how much of each opportunity should be credited to marketing and how much should be credited to sales. So that's wow. where AI is telling us that now. And that's all set up and running now and pulling through to our dashboards. And AI is telling us our marketing influence pipe number. Wow, that is impressive. That is definitely something that I'd love to see. And 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 has, so this is that, that, yeah that's fascinating that's fascinating obviously this is this is one of those arguments that you hear quite a lot in in organizations uh, not the battle but it's always a little bit of an argument uh, whether it's uh, marketing or sales and and who has a bigger bigger impact on on some of these things but that is uh, that sounds like it makes it very objective or we might just start blaming the algorithm. <laughs> and the, uh, the 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 how the uh, how the AI starts to interpret the data, but that's that's really cool. One one last thing that I wanted to kind of touch on is how is how do you find the difference between ABM in the EMEA region and maybe in ABM in the US region mm-hmm. with with Salesforce. Sure. So we're set up quite differently in um, EMEA across each region. Obviously, we have the different languages and cultures across EMEA. So depending on the size of each region, our ABM teams are slightly different. But we have a global ABM center of excellence. So they put help us support us with frameworks, with templates, with digital assets, microsite support, things like that at a global level. The EMEA team is obviously a lot bigger than the EMEA team. So they have a lot more ABMers for each industry than we would have over here. So they have a large creative team as well, but as bespoke creative. So we lean on them quite heavily to, you know, see what have they recently produced? How can we lift and shift? How can we scale that across EMEA? So we have a lot of learnings. And the Centre of Excellence run monthly calls, collaboration calls, so we can learn. And they always ask different regions to, you know, talk about their best practice cases so we can all learn from each other. And there's loads of different, you know, innovation that comes from different regions across the world. So we have ABM in APAC as well. So we really try and lean on each other as much as possible. But I would say that they're obviously the resources and the size of the the, the ABM team in a mayor is, is a lot bigger. Got it. Got it. Got it. Jenna, this has been amazing 
I do have some rapid fire questions that I want to ask before, before going to those, is there anything else that you think I should, should have touched on? Maybe I haven't asked that you think it's important for us to cover. I, the idea that one thing I would say is that in order for sales and marketing to work and collaborate together, I think you have to have joint goals. And that's one thing we have put in place is when we have our targets and not just an ABM target, we have a target for ABM, a target for exec, a target for demand gen, target for digital, um, all these targets across the team, brand targets, content, etc. They make up and we have that percent that we say we're going to del- deliver this amount of marketing pipe to sales or marketing driven pipe now, MDP in the new marketing framework to sales. And so sales, you know, are aligned to that number. And I think if you if you're working on one number and have one and a joint KPIs and joint goals. I think that really helps that marketing and sales alignment because I think that's really key. And it doesn't matter if you work in the DemGen team, the exec team or the ABM team, you've still got to have that sales alignment. So I think those weekly calls with sales and our we have a one-stop shop document with everything in it for sales to go to. It's a single source of truth with everything in it that marketing is running. That really helps that marketing and sales alignment. And I think that's where a lot of people still struggle when I'm talking to people across the industry. You know, that marketing and sales alignment always comes up. So I think that's something that I'm not saying we've got it 100% right, but I think it's, you know, a, re- a really big shift in the right direction. I reckon if you have salespeople pitching you, Joanna, you are uh, you're way ahead than uh than the pack but uh it is definitely a challenge that is is uh prevalent across the board where marketing feels they, they they're not getting by and so thanks thanks for sharing that and and kind of thinking for audience to think about that shared kpi amongst the two teams that's great xgrowth has helped b2b tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. Okay. Let's do some rapid fire questions before before we wrap up. First question I have is, what is one resource? This could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk that has had a fundamental impact on the way you work or live. I think it has I should to say, be. I should say, Joanna, we're also open to multiple suggestions. <laughs> okay. I think one of the things is I mentioned I enjoy reading and one of the books that I've been reading, actually been listening to, I've been walking is a book called Atomic Habits. I think one thing I've heard is that, you know, small habits make a big difference. So if you can just change, you know, one thing, even if it's just small every day, it makes a big difference in the long run. And I think it's, you know, you forget about, don't worry about setting goals. It's just doing small things every day and changing your habits. And that's made a big difference to me. So even just getting out and having my dog walk, you know, every day and getting some fresh air. And sometimes it's not even noticeable, but, you know, you'd be surprised what you can achieve if you do, you know, five press-ups a day and move to 10. You know, it's amazing how your body can change. So I think that that one book, Atomic Habits, has really helped me. Tom Cowers is definitely a great read, and uh, we had the whole whole company read it a few a, f- a couple of months ago. And uh, oh, really? Yeah, I, oh, I'm that's fantastic! One hundred, 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're a smaller team than Salesforce, so it makes it a little bit more manageable. But yeah, it is a great read. Second question, if you could only give one piece of advice to B2B marketers or ABMers, what would it be? It would be to be data-driven. I think using your data and the insights you have in your data is key to setting up a campaign, to understanding, you know, what your campaign is going to look like, what do, what do customers want, you know. So I think using the data could be intent data, propensity to buy data, you know, you've got so much data there. And I think if you can use your data to set up your campaigns, to set up your, you know, your account selection, everything you need to do needs to be driven around your data. So I think data is really key for me and, and for our marketing team. Say so that would be my main piece of advice. Fantastic. When I ask about influencers and thought leaders, are there any influencers and thought leaders in the space that uh, you follow closely, Joanna? One person I follow since I've been at Salesforce, actually, that I got to know is our chief digital evangelist, actually, at Salesforce. He's called Vala Afshar. I don't know if you know him, but he's he runs a podcast and he hosts Disrupt TV um, show, it's like a weekly show. It's had hundreds of episodes and I think he's had the, you know, the top 50 thinkers on it. And he's even bought a book out recently. I haven't bought his, haven't read his book yet, but I, that's on my Christmas list. But he's a really interesting guy and he's, uh, I just love listening to him and he interviews really interesting people. So if you've not heard of him, Vala Afshar is one to, you know, to Google and see what he's up to. I'm going to definitely check it, check him out after this. So thanks for that. Last question is, what's something that excites you about B2B today? I think it's that one word that's on everyone's mind at the moment, which is AI and, you know, the use of AI. And I'm going to mention to us, you know, we're going to be using it in our account selection process, but there's so many different clever ways we can use AI at every stage of our, you know, account journey, not just in in you know in around content but there's all in this every step of the process in in the abm there's a, a really good use for ai so i think you know that's something that really excites me and you know how we can use it in, in our measurement like i mentioned how we're already using it in our, in our metrics framework but there's um i think just helping us work smarter and be more efficient is um something that really excites me that's awesome i i know it's on on a lot of people's ra- radars and and uh very, very keen to hear what are some of the, uh, the the things that come out of AI, especially in the B2B. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. A very infi- insightful session. And I uh, just want to say thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you for your time. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywell and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Extra. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.